everyone, welcome to episode 67 of the Ubuntu Security Podcast. I'm Alex Murray. So this week, in light of uh, worldwide, I guess, fear and uh, changes due to coronavirus, Joe and I thought we would have a chat about uh, tips for working securely from home. If you have been uh, sort of sent home or if your workplace is shut down due to coronavirus and you're now working from home. Uh, so yeah, there's a, a good chat about that coming up later. But first, we're going to dive into our usual roundup of vulnerabilities and fixes that are being addressed by the team this week. So first up is Firefox. Uh, this was version 74.0, the upstream release. Uh, as usual, these contain a bunch of different security fixes, and yeah, this was pushed into uh, the standard stable releases, so that's Xenial, Bionic, and Eowyn. Uh, in this case, uh, yeah, like the usual sorts of vulnerabilities that we see in uh, web browsers, so a crafted website would be able to trigger things like a denial of service, or be able to spoof things like uh, the URL bar or other browser Chrome, so that you would think you were looking at some other website when you, know, you were looking at a fake one. So useful in phishing attacks. Uh, other things like bypassing content security policies to be able to steal uh, credentials, that sort of thing, and remote code execution as well. There's also also a couple separate issues, one where uh, any extension with the old URL permission, which tends to be a lot of them, particularly if you're running ad blockers and things, would have access to local files. So that's been fixed, as well as uh, a feature in the uh, development tools. So there's this copy as curl URL thing. So you can basically uh, copy, say, a resource to that, and you can then you know, paste it into the command line and curl it down locally to you. Uh, but it would fail to escape possible website controlled data. So therefore, the website could uh, inject particular shell commands into that. And when you run it, then you can get uh, remote code execution on that developer's box as well. Uh, So they were all fixed. Next up, we've got a bunch of updates to the Linux kernel. So thanks very much to the kernel team at uh, Canonical for working on these. Uh, As I say, first up, we've got the kernel update for the kernel in Eowyn, and this is also used as the hardware enablement kernel in Bionic. That's uh, 18.04 long-term support. In this case, we had 11 different CVEs that were fixed. Of these, uh, two of them were medium priority, and they were both due to issues in KVM, the virtualization subsystem. So the first of these was where a nested KVM guest would be able to read uh, resources of the parent. So essentially, if you've got a host machine and you're running virtualization on that with a virtual machine running, and then within that virtual machine, you're again running another virtual machine. So it's like inception here. uh, That second virtual machine would be able to read resources of the virtualized parent. So you've essentially got information disclosure there. So it could read sensitive info from that. Uh, so that was fixed, plus another issue where a guest VM might be able to read memory from other guest VMs, and that's not necessarily with uh, second-level virtualization or nested virtualization, just due to you know, standard virtualization, because in cases uh, there would sometimes miss deferred TLB flushes, uh, that's the translation look-aside buffer, uh, so therefore you essentially get memory still paged in for one guest that was from the other memory. Uh, and so, yeah, that was also fixed as well. Uh, the rest of them, as I said, there there were then nine low-priority issues. All of these were memory leaks in various drivers, uh, particularly a lot of them networking drivers, that would occur under certain error scenarios. So you would have to get an error triggered, you know, say, in the network card or something like that uh, to, to trigger a lot of these. So uh, as a result, they were low-priority and, and they're only a memory leak. So you know, the likelihood of that causing any uh, large issue other than a denial of service is pretty low, and even the likelihood of being able to trigger them pretty low, so hence low-priority. But uh, they were all fixed for the... Uh, Eowyn and therefore the Bionic hardware enablement kernel. We had an update for the uh, Bionic based kernel that is used for our cloud images. This is actually based on the uh, 5.0 upstream kernel and it is used for our cloud specific uh, kernels, things like uh, we've got particular flavors for the different clouds. So there's Oracle, AWS, GKE, GCP, 
uh, a whole heap of them really. And so if you run a uh, or spin up an Ubuntu instance in one of those clouds, you get this uh, particular uh, flavored kernel. Uh, and so this includes uh, the same issues as above that I talked about. So those two KVM issues plus a bunch of the memory leaks, uh, but just with a couple of them uh, dropped off because we did those in a previous update. Uh, we also had an update for the kernel in uh, Bionic. This is the 4.15 based kernel, and it's also used as the hardware enablement kernel in Xenial. That's Ubuntu 16.04 long-term support. So this included a Ubuntu specific issue uh, that we assigned CVE 2020-8832 for. Uh, this was reported to us that basically there was an incomplete fix for the previous CVE, which was CVE 2020-14615. And that was uh, Intel 9, i915 driver. Uh, we had missed a patch that was required to uh, completely mitigate that. And so that has now been rolled into this kernel update. Uh, Plus, this update also included a bunch of the things I talked about before. So that was that KVM nested virtualization bug and the various memory leaks in different drivers. And finally, there was a null point to do reference uh, that might be able to be triggered if a malicious USB device was inserted into your system. Uh, one more kernel update, and that was just to the kernel in Xenial itself. Uh, that's the 4.4 based kernel. And that is also used as the hardware enablement kernel for trusty extended security maintenance or 1404 extended security maintenance. And that was just for the one uh, issue that was the nested KVM virtualization bug was also fixed there too. Uh, a few more just to go through. Ceph was up next. So one CVE that we fixed for Ceph in Eowyn and a Bionic. Uh, in this case, it was a denial of service that was able to be triggered by an authenticated user uh, who could cause an unexpected disconnect uh, to the Rados gateway. So basically, if they were to cause this uh, unexpected disconnect multiple times uh, on the Redis Gateway server, you've got a bunch of sockets then piling up that are still kind of in a, uh, well, they're not closed state. So uh, you're then exhausting uh, available sockets and file descriptors. And eventually uh, you run out and you get a denial of service and where no one else can connect. So that was fixed for Ceph. Uh, then we had an update for ICU. This is the CNC++ library used for Unicode handling. Uh, this was for all of our uh, supported releases, plus both of our extended security maintenance ones. So all the way back to 1204 extended security maintenance, 1404 extended security maintenance, Xenial, Bionic, and Eowyn. Uh, in this case, there was an integer overflow that could lead to a heap-based buffer overflow. So the usual things that we see in these uh, C-based libraries. And in this case, uh, due to how you may or may not be able to corrupt uh, the heap, uh, likely there was a denial of service because you could probably crash the library, uh, but you may also be able to get remote code execution as well. Okay, up next, I've got a couple updates that were uh, prepared for the security team by uh, some folks in the foundations team. So the first of these was for Dino, uh, the incident messaging client. Uh, this was done by Julian Andres Claude. Uh, he, in this case, rolled in three different fixes for Dino in Bionic. So uh, this was uh, fixes for failures to uh, validate inputs in various parts or various messaging messages that it handles. And so in that case, you know, an attacker might be able to uh, obtain, inject, or remove sensitive info. Uh, this also included an update to uh, Dino to accept 12-byte uh, uh, long initialization vectors as well as 16-byte ones, which is what it uh, previously used because that is what a lot of other Omimo clients are using. And Omimo is the protocol that uh, Dino implements. That's a, a XMPP extension for uh, multi-client end-to-end encryption. Uh, so essentially allows you know messages uh, to be synchronized across multiple client devices, even if some of them are offline. Omimo uh, being the kind of Unix standard uh, 
recursive acronym of OMIMO, the multi-end message and object encryption. And finally, we had an update for a regression in Appport. Uh, again, this was prepared by uh, a couple of folks from the foundations team. That's uh, Tiago Dakes and uh, Michael Hudson-Doyle. Uh, in this case, uh, we previously published an update for Appport that has five different CVEs fixed, but in the process, it broke a bunch of the auto package tests. So these are tests that are rolled into Debian packages so that uh, they are run automatically on up uh, or when we prepare updates, shall I say, and they can alert us to you know various failures. So they're kind of like regression tests or unit tests. And uh, some of those were broken in that previous update. Plus, it also broke uh, Python 2 compatibility. So uh, Appport is uh, a bunch of different scripts that are run by various hooks when applications crash or run into issues so that bugs can be reported automatically. And so if some of those were Python 2-based applications that were then uh, essentially calling the Python 2-based parts of Appport, uh, they may end up failing. So they were fixed as well. So thanks very much to the Foundations team for their help on uh, those updates for Dino and for Appport. And that takes us to the end of this week in security updates. Up next, Joe and I thought it would be timely to have a discussion about uh, securely working from home, uh, given that a lot of people have suddenly found themselves being working from home, uh, even though, say, at Canonical, this is essentially what we do all the time. A lot of organizations that have been traditionally working from an office have suddenly been sending their employees to work from home, so we thought it would be timely to have a discussion about that. Hey, Alex, how are you doing this week? I'm doing good, Joe. How are you doing? I'm doing good, all things considered. Um, crazy world in which we live in right now. But um, we are a work-from-home company, and uh, we've been doing this for a long time, and we're going to talk about that today. Before we delve into that, though, Alex, as usual, what are you reading this week? So this week, I'm still reading ReamD, of course. Um, one day I will finish it. Uh, and I haven't still finished uh, Kim Zetter's book. Which I just, oh, it's funny, you know, you, you read a book, particularly because it's on my Kindle, you know, I don't see the front cover of it, so I don't remember the name. Um, but another one I do want to read is, uh, I think it's called The Hacker in the State by Ben Buchanan, which is, um, again, I think uh, I like these sorts of books that are written by sort of infosec journalists because they mm-hmm. give you... Uh, you know, they're well written as kind of a story piece because they know how to write, but also they've got good technical detail. And he's kind of summarizes uh, a bunch of different, um, you know, it's got bits of Stuxnet in there and other sorts of um, nation state uh, kind of hacks as well. And so that's something that I'm going to move on to, I think, at some point soon. Yeah. Very cool. Actually, speaking of nation state, there is, um, I saw this today in the security headlines, I think the APT 36 group, which is tied to Pakistan, is apparently using um phishing emails about the coronavirus or COVID-19 targeted against India to deliver malware which is fairly interesting and it's um speaking of nation state you know it is always curious what happens and I guess what the U.S. uh, HHS housing and human services was under a cyber attack too although I didn't hear any of the details was it phishing or was it just like a bunch of nmap scans I, I don't know um but I'm rereading the collapsing empire series by John Scalzi um so John Scalzi is most famous for the book Red Shirts, which popularized the theory that the people wearing red shirts in the back of Star Trek uh, always die because they don't have names. Um, so he's a sci-fi writer, <laughs> has some good comedy. He's also nice. 
Old Man's War is this famous series, but um, The Collapsing Empire is a really good one. And the third book in the series is coming out any day now, so I wanted to reread the first two. And it's supposed to be just a three-part series, which is good, because sometimes you don't want to, you don't want to, I don't know, you don't want to jump in for um, a 12-part series. Like, I've never finished The Wheel of Time, and I don't think I ever will. <laughs> yeah, I've never even started. It's one of those ones that... Um i'm uh scared off by the size of it literally yeah <laughs> so, it, it, i mean yeah. i like parts of it but i didn't like it but anyhow back onto infosec so um this week um we're going to talk about some um work from home security best practices so there's all the other best practices you should do like when you work from home like clearly when you get up in the morning get out of your pajamas <laughs> you know put your work clothes on yeah. take a shower i mean i'd say go to the gym but that's not a possibility in the u.s right now but you know Go out for a run, walk your dogs, do something. When lunchtime comes around, don't always eat it at your desk. Get up and move your legs, you know, move around, stay awake. Um, you know, set a good end of day time so you're not working 24-7. Um, you know, it's it's really easy as a work-from-home person to feel, I guess I'd say, some guilt for working from home. And you and if you're like me, you're a computer person, so the computer is in front of you. So, But try to disconnect so you've got some good work-life balance. After all yeah, of that. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, it's definitely, uh, oh, sorry, Joe, yeah. But particularly you know, if you are using your own machine uh, and working from home, yes, it can be quite easy to, you know, it's that same machine that you're going to probably watch Netflix on or whatever, right, uh, in the evening and then suddenly a work email comes through and you you, know, you think, oh, I'll just reply to that. And uh, now I try to, yeah, stick to, try to keep the two separate because it's good to have, as you say, um, separation between the two and to try to make sure you're not feeling like you're always on and so that that way when you start the next day you can kind of feel more refreshed and not feel like you're just Mm -hmm. uh on the same treadmill cycle of uh churning through work yeah Yeah, we don't want people to burn out um although i did read an interesting article from i think darknet darknet reading dark reading dark reading they shared it about how infosec is burning people out and i do not agree with that at all. I'm not sure where they're coming from. Um, I'm, I don't, it's a very interesting article about people are, are handling InfoSec terribly and how they're getting paranoid, et cetera. Um, and I, I don't know. I, I, I wish they had a counterpoint in that, in that article. Uh, if you have a chance, you should read it. Yeah. It's interesting. I haven't seen it, but I wonder, maybe it depends on the organization, right? If you're an organization that is, uh, slow to react and you haven't traditionally been funding uh, I don't know infosec improvements and things like that then yes I can imagine your infosec staff feel like they are um, you know fighting an uphill battle every day to get mm-hmm. their job done and to uh, do an effective job if they're feeling like they're being hamstrung so uh, yeah make sure that your infosec people are being listened to if you're in a position to, <laughs> to yes. do that oh man it costs so much less money to put in controls in the beginning as opposed to reacting to them later. It's a horrible thing to be in the situation where you're always reacting yeah. to something. Um, it would be interesting to contrast with coronavirus preparations, but I'm not really a health pandemic expert, so I don't know if that would be useful. No, but. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm good at InfoSec and taking pictures of dogs. Um, I know yep. where my strengths lie. <laughs> um, which, which is why you should follow me on, on Twitter, Joe Ubuntu, for pictures of dogs. Yeah, if you need, if you need right. to smile, hound pick of the day. Yeah, yeah. try to do that. <laughs> um, so, um, we'll kick off with some, some actual tips as opposed to us jibber jawing. Um, I think um, one thing you can do is if your Wi-Fi is capable of um, having multiple SSIDs, 
Um, might set one up for your work machine. So all your work traffic is separate from the other people in your home and other devices. Um, I think I've mentioned before, but I go overboard. I have I have my a separate SSID for all of my for my work machines, and then they're they're using QoS and they're isolated from everything else in the network. Um, and that just means you know they won't be you know, if a virus somebody else had in the house. Um, I'm sorry, for somebody else in the house got a virus, it wouldn't affect my machines. Um, but you can do things like that. An SSID would be helpful there. Um, would have, you could use, uh, your, I mean, most companies have a VPN, although right now I imagine VPN companies, uh, VPN retailers, I don't know, VPN concentrator sellers, have been selling a whole lot of licenses for additional users in the past few weeks yeah. because most people don't anticipate 100% remote workforce VPNing in. Um, I remember one time when I was in charge of... Uh, uh, of security for a company, which included the uh, VPN device. We had a huge snowstorm, and all of a sudden we had to uh, buy a whole lot of new licenses to get everybody on that day. Um, yep. So things like that. Um, now, we were talking about this earlier, uh, Alex. So there's a concept in VPNing called split tunneling. So split tunneling is where your v- so your VPN can do one of two things. You can connect you can drive all your traffic through the VPN endpoint and then out through the corporate firewall, which is really good if you're doing like deep pack inspection or if you have to do something like use a, uh, use a proxy server or something like that. Um, then um, the other option is to have something called a uh, split tunnel where you only send traffic to the IPs that your company maintains and everything else goes directly out of your machine through your local gateway and out to the internet. Um, that is generally more efficient because you're not driving all your traffic through through one, you know, VPN device and then out through that, back to that, back to you. Um, however, you lose the company loses a lot of visibility. Um, it loses the ability to do deep packet inspection for you, etc. Um, that said, that's I would say you could do that in the right um, the right risk profile. Like um, um, I don't know, Alex, can you help me think of a few examples where you might want to have? Um, might not want to have split tunneling. Yeah, sure. So I think if you're, uh, like you said, if you're if you're more at risk, right, and you want to have more uh, visibility on that machine, you know, you want to be able to try to, uh, like you said, do deep pack inspection to try to identify that yes, this thing is beaconing out or something, so it's likely got malware on it. Uh, you know, so if, whether it's your um, your C-suite executives and your finance people and um, those who are. Uh, more likely to be targeted i think that would be a good a good choice um like you said it is it is maybe a hard trade-off though because particularly you know you've only got uh fixed bandwidth uh on your uh your corporate egress right so mm-hmm. uh, suddenly you have all these extra people now using your vpn and potentially routing heaps more traffic over it and so yes you may have to make some interesting decisions like you said set up split tunneling uh for for different things uh but compared to uh, the previous case where you had everyone in the office and uh, using your egress anyway, it's probably no different. So yeah, that certainly sounds like a a good um, a good default to take. You know, route everything over your VPN so that you can see. Or assuming you've got the, the ability to take that coming in, uh, you yeah. have the ability to still see that and still get the same monitoring that you would have had uh, of your endpoint devices while they're back at home. Uh, I think also when you know, if people are using their own home machines, uh, you know, you're kind of then stepping into um, a bit of a different environment where you don't have the same control over those. So obviously, you know, if, you're, if people are going to be using their, their home machines to be uh, connecting particularly into a VPN, you want to try to make sure you've got at least some 
basic uh, security hygiene there. So obviously the usual stuff that we always say, you know, automatic updates, um, you know, local firewall, uh, perhaps if it's a particular Windows machine, a good AV, uh, mm-hmm. Linux, we're a little bit, um, not as many good choices. Uh, although we were talking about how Microsoft have uh, announced their well, Microsoft Defender for Linux. Sorry. Yeah, I am very interested to try that out. Um, I think we talked about maybe we'll, We'll spin up a, uh, uh, I don't know, a bastion host up in up in the cloud and see see that what what, it, what threats it detects. It'd be really cool. Uh, my, uh, Linux has been missing a quality real time antivirus for a long time. There's Clam AV, but that's not real time, right? That's great for mail servers, things like that. But it's yep. sort of run through cron, if you will. Um, so you really need to see this. Um, and then you know other things. If you're you know, if you don't have two-factor authentication um, set up everywhere, um, you might as well start now. Or talk to your IS group to make sure you've got that. It's a great. Now everybody's using Google. Uh, you know, I think a lot of people are using G Suite now since they're all working from home with Google Docs, etc. Yep. Make sure you've got your two FA turned on there. Um, you know, whether it's their Google Authenticator or you're using something like a YubiKey, um, all that stuff is is super important right now. Um, other yeah, things you can do, you know, just make sure. It's kind of silly, but make sure you're, even though you're at home, that you've got your screensaver password on. You don't want um, someone mistakenly playing with your computer when you're logged in and doing something by mistake. I don't know if you've got yeah. kids in the home that might want to go your, play a game. Yeah, exactly. You've got your kids home from school. Yeah. Yeah. And <laughs> I don't know if there's a laptop version of Angry work Birds. Embarrassment. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, so things like that. But, you know, also now that you're at home, make sure um, since if you do have a problem, getting something restored from corporate IT might be harder. Um, you know, get a, make, make sure you've got a backup solution. Um, make sure you're, you know, I like I use RDIF backup to back up my boxes. Um, I've got a bunch of LexD containers and I'm using snapshots in LexD to back those up. Um, because if something happens, you want to be able to restore quickly. Um, and you don't want to rely on someone else. So hard drives are really, I think a, a, a spinning, Spinning disk, one terabyte hard drive, external USB three that I bought was like forty nine dollars. Like it's just so cheap these yeah, days. There's no reason not to do cheap. it. Yeah. 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 Although someone just Definitely. showed on the robot our robotics team a Raspberry Pi enclosure that turns it into a NAS, and you can put like I think five um, two point five inch drives in. So awesome. I really want to that try that out. Really good. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, pretty cool. But I think we've, I know, Alex, have we have we covered the work from home topics uh, for security? Other things, like I said, make sure you're you're not just sitting in front of the computer all day. Get up, stretch your legs. Um, you know, go out, walk the dogs. Borrow your neighbor's dog to walk those. Um, walk your cat. Yeah, that's your cat's into. <laughs> yep. No, and, have uh, it walk you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, anyway, thank you so much for listening, um, and we will talk to you next week. Awesome. Thanks, Joe. And thanks again, Joe. All right, so that takes us to the end of this week's episode. As usual, if you'd like to get in contact with the team, you can reach us at security.ubuntu.com or you can find us hanging out in the Ubuntu Harden channel on the Freenode IRC network. Uh, we also have the Ubuntu Harden mailing list. Uh, there's the security section on discourse.ubuntu.com. And if that's not enough for you, finally, we are on Twitter. So we are at Ubuntu underscore sec on there. If you want to follow us or get in contact with us on Twitter, yeah, check us out. All right. Thanks, everyone, for listening again for another week. Uh, That's it for this week from me. Uh, Until next week, stay safe, stay calm. I hope everyone avoids coronavirus and the like. Uh, 
But yeah, remember, keep calm because we've got your back, at least for the cyber. And uh, I'll speak to you soon. Bye.